Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the Great Work Podcast. Before we get into the meat of this episode, please don't forget to like, subscribe, rate me five stars, but only if I deserve it, and share with a friend if you feel inclined. Today, I want to tackle a pretty simple question. Why do I care about the Arab-Israeli conflict? There are surface-level reasons and then more complex ones. The one that will take up the bulk of this episode, quite frankly, keeps me up at night. So, without further ado, let's get into it. The most surface-level reason I care about the Arab-Israeli conflict is because I'd like to go back to Israel, and I'd like to go back during a time of peace. When I visited Israel in 2016-2017, it changed my life. I have such a love for the people there, for the culture. One of the bummers about my trip is that it was a political trip. I didn't get to visit the holiest sites in my religion. I'm Christian. So I think I got 15 minutes of free time in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's one of the greatest privileges of my lifetime that I got to touch the rock where Jesus's body was prepared for burial and where he was resurrected. It gives me chills to think that I got to be there. And I'd like to go back. I'd like to go to Bethlehem. I'd like to go to Nazareth. I'm worried about what would happen under Palestinian control. Would my religious sites still exist? And would I be allowed to enter them? I believe I heard that Bethlehem is currently not accepting Christian pilgrimages. Under Israel, even though it's a Jewish state, they give full access to these significant religious sites to Christians and full access to Jews to the Kotel, although they're not allowed on top because it's the site of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And Muslims have full access to Al-Aqsa. So I feel much more comfortable with Israel in charge of my religious sites. That's a selfish reason, but it's true. Another reason I care is just humanity. I, What happened on October 7th was horrible. And not just on October 7th. The Arab Revolt in 1938 was awful. The Holocaust was awful. The displacement of Arab and African Jews following the creation of the State of Israel was awful. The hostage crisis at the Olympics was awful. The First Intifada was awful. The Second Intifada was terrible. The Knife Intifada was awful. The Jews didn't start any of these fights or deserve to go through any of them. To me, there's a clear right versus wrong here. And all of these acts of violence committed against Jewish people were unequivocally wrong. There's no argument in favor of these things. And I worry that people are beginning to justify these acts, but more on that later. The main reason I care about the Arab-Israeli conflict is because I'm concerned about what's happening to Western values, and I want to preserve them. 
think it's uncomfortable to think about, but in order to preserve these values we hold so deeply and proudly here in the West, we may have to limit some of them. Eric Weinstein said this in a discussion he had with Dave Rubin following the October 7th attacks. He said it's clear our liberal values like free and open immigration, free speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of the press have been used against us. They've been used against us by immigrants who came here not looking to assimilate, who are now sympathizing with and celebrating Hamas's attack on October 7th. And by leftists, young people in America's most shining cities and at our elite universities who feel more comfortable siding with the oppressed so as to not be seen as an oppressor. They have a completely warped sense of morality. When you have an understanding of American colleges today, it becomes pretty apparent where people are learning about these, this warped sense of morality. Colleges no longer teach the facts of history. They now say you must have an opinion about history. I found it bizarre in college that college students today do not have an admiration for historical figures, but instead opinions of them that are very judgmental of them, especially because their judgments are based on today's values and give figures no credit for being revolutionary for their time. Instead, they're judged for not being as progressive as we are today, back then. In a college class I had, a professor say that Abraham Lincoln was still extremely racist and probably gay. I'm not kidding. The man that kept the union together and completely got rid of slavery in the United States which is probably the biggest stain on our nation's history, was apparently not, not worthy of our admiration. This is the man that defeated the Confederacy. You know, the one that had that flag that people will scream if they see anywhere on some redneck's truck in the South today. People will have a meltdown over someone flying that flag in a YouTube video. But apparently defeating it and squandering that side to oblivion is not enough for Lincoln to get credit or admiration from today's college students. Instead of talking about Lincoln's crowning achievements, we talked about conspiracies. If the right wing in America had similar conspiracies about Andrew Jackson or FDR, we'd be called nuts. But in my basic discussion at the largest public university in Minnesota about one of our most important presidents in our history, we're riddled with conspiracy and innuendo from second and third sources hundreds of years after the fact that can never be proven. I realized the most education I ever received about the Civil War was in eighth grade when I was 12 or 13. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I didn't really even realize what an achievement it was that Lincoln kept the Union together until I visited Indianapolis in 2021 when I was 26 for a friend's wedding 
in Indianapolis's Monument Circle. It almost felt weird to me that they had a monument for keeping the union together. And I'm embarrassed to admit that, but I I was never taught that it was such a great accomplishment. When we talk about the Civil War today, we seem to forget how important it is that we kept the union together. When we talk about the North versus South today, it seems almost as wish Northerners wish we had split from the South, given the disdain many Northerners seem to have for the dumb, backwards, racist Southerners today. Why are we like this? Is this because we've gotten too comfortable in the West? Things are good for the most part for upper society folks that go to college anyways, so we have to make up pet causes? I don't know. I don't know the reason for this, but it's concerning to me. I kind of wonder how these college students even feel they have the right to judge people like Abraham Lincoln today with such a superiority complex. There's a reason we know the names and stories of titans of social change in history, and it's because there were so few of them. We know the name of Martin Luther because it took tremendous courage to go against the Catholic Church and effect change. We know the name of Martin Luther King because it took tremendous courage to stand up for civil rights in the United States and to do so peacefully. We know Rosa Parks' name and story. We know Harriet Tubman's name and story. We know Abraham Lincoln's name and story. All of these people, it took great courage for them to act in the way that they did, to affect the change that they did. They acted against a mob, and they stood up for what is morally, unequivocally right, civil rights. It is crazy for my peers to think that if they existed in any of those times, that they would have been more radical revolutionaries than the names I just mentioned. Honestly, it's crazy for them to assume they would have even stood with them at all. It took a lot of societal pressure to stand up during those times for these social movements. And humans, we have mob mentalities. Most of us don't purposefully go against the grain. In all likelihood, the college kids and far lefties with these big opinions today would have been silent during those times because the masses were in large part silent. Again, they wouldn't have wanted to be shunned by polite society. And these far lefty social justice warriors today have simply joined another mass of people where they feel included. They're not actually doing anything that affects social change. They're just a part of a mob. It's now popular to do what they're doing, so they do it. It has nothing to do with their character, but instead their humanity. They want to be included in a crowd and feel accepted. And they get that by saying crazy things in college classes or by attending protests. This is why they won't speak out against the violence in these movements. Because they're not true freedom fighters or people who speak truth to power. They are simply members of a mob desperate to feel included. 
why would they do something controversial to jeopardize their standing in this mob that they seek to impress and be included in? The favored paradigm of this crowd, this mob, is oppressed versus oppressor. This is the ultimate do-gooder mentality of leftists today. Achievements are no longer celebrated because they're evidence of privilege. It's embarrassing to be privileged today. Groups are deemed oppressors or oppressed not by a court of neutral third parties, but instead by a mob of people eager to please each other and fit in with one another. While this group seems to be very irreligious or atheist, they have a true evangelist component to them. They care not so much about what groups of people do, because again, these people don't really do anything besides organize and protest or comment online. But instead, what they perceive these people as believing. It is much worse in their eyes to believe incorrectly or be perceived as believing incorrectly by the mob than to do poorly. We saw this recently in the trans movement. There were people on the left who were lifetime progressives and advocates of the LGBTQ plus community who were kicked out of these social circles for daring to say that trans men and women are different from biological men and women. Stating these biological realities in a way not meant to shame trans people was upholding a system which opposes trans people and therefore these people don't get to be in the group anymore. We're seeing it now with Jews being left out of left-leaning circles so as to not make Muslims feel uncomfortable with their presence. Obviously, this causes problems in a society where ethnic or cultural groups of people achieve things at a higher rate than others because those people are oppressors. Asian students are seen this way. And this is why we saw the left have a frenzy after affirmative action was ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court this past summer. Asian students achieve at a higher rate than other minority groups. Therefore, they are oppressors. They don't deserve to go to Harvard or Yale. Oppressed people do. Or so this mob says. The oppressed in this paradigm are not celebrated when they adapt or assimilate into systems that are oppressing them. Japanese people are not seen as oppressed today, even though their families were put into internment camps in the United States not even 100 years ago. This is because they have largely assimilated into U.S. society. They also aren't celebrated when they resist these groups and systems peacefully. On social media after the George Floyd riots in 2020, it was running rampant that Malcolm X was the true revolutionary of the 60s and Martin Luther King Jr. was a CIA plant. People claim that Malcolm X was killed by the CIA for inciting violence. During these riots, people gave no respect to the greatest civil rights leader in history, the man that has statues dedicated to him in our nation's capital, because he achieved change through peace, not violence. Instead, they complained that Martin Luther King Jr. didn't do enough. He didn't resist hard enough to get himself killed 
Malcolm X did. Yeah, I know. I really saw that as a social media post by a person with a graduate degree. Seems to have forgotten about the whole assassination of MLK. Malcolm X was a martyr to the Black Power cause. He was the figure celebrated in the riots in the city that I grew up in, which still has not recovered from those riots. Violence is the preferred and celebrated method of resistance in this new movement. Violence is perfectly legitimate and understandable when standing up to oppressors. And the fact that you are an oppressor is like your skin color. You can't get rid of it. You can't shake it no matter what you do. Even if you hold values, which the mob can benefit from, even if you march alongside them, at a certain point, they'll turn on you. You're not pure enough. You're too privileged. Now you must be dismantled. The victims in the Israeli kibbutzes are some of the most progressive Israelis. And they were guilty of the crime on October 7th of sleeping while Jewish in their homes in the legitimate country which they are citizens of and have been for 75 years. But this egregious act, sleeping while Jewish, attending a music festival, doesn't matter if they're progressive. It doesn't matter that the people attacked on October 7th were probably the ones marching more than any other Israeli for justice and rights for Palestinian people. Because they lived there. They're Jewish, they're Israeli, and therefore they're oppressors. And oppressors must be dismantled. And doing so in a violent manner is legitimate. They were sleeping while Jewish. That mother, who had her baby cut out of her belly whilst pregnant, watched her baby die and then was killed herself... Yeah, not great, but have you heard about Netanyahu? Total far-right Hitler. And she lived in his country, so she's basically Hitler too. What? You wouldn't kill Hitler? Then you're a Nazi too. Hamas militants had no choice but to paraglide into a music festival and rape women so brutally that they broke pelvic bones. The man who filmed on a GoPro himself raping a woman shooting her execution style in the back of the head while he was still inside of her and cutting off her breast to play with as he gleefully looked for his next victim was doing what any freedom fighter and pious religious man would do. This is an obvious response to apartheid that these Arabs face every single day for 75 years, even though this was very well possible that it was the first time this man had ever stepped foot into the country that had put him under the oppression he sought to dismantle. The nine-month-old baby put into an oven and burnt alive? That was a colonizer. That baby, asleep in its bed with their loving parents in the next room over? In the last moments of its life in that oven was upholding settler colonialism. And yeah, it's a shame it had to go that far, 
But how else is Hamas supposed to respond to 75 years of brutal occupation? And yeah, 20 of those years, they were occupied by an Arab nation that would not take that land or people back in a peace deal in the late 70s. But Egyptians aren't white and the Jews clearly are. So it's all the Jews' fault. It makes me sick to talk about these brutal acts of violence so flippantly, but it's so common in my comment section every day on TikTok. I feel that the least I can do to pay my respects to the horrors that these people went through in their final moments on earth, dying for the crime of being Jewish, asleep on a holiday in their homes in their country, is to detail the brutality that they went through without belittling or tiptoeing around it. It's also important to speak about the brutality in its full form, because if we pretend it didn't happen, we are choosing to be naive about what could very well happen again here in the West. A follower sent me a group of screenshots from, I'm going to call them pro-Hamas activists, and if you want to see the proof in the screenshots, head over to my Twitter, because they're all there. But I'll read a couple of them. The Jews isolate Gaza to annihilate it. There is no power or strength except in God. There is not a single civilian in the Zionist entity. Everyone who has reached the age of 18 is a soldier or a reservist, and religious people who do not serve in the army are part of the militias of religious movements such as the Hillboys and others. That means that everyone fits the description of an enemy soldier. This is how the masked person's statement is understood. America and the Zionist entity are now committing massacres against civilians. After their cowardly army was defeated, they took their anger out on children and women to cause the largest possible number of victims. Weapons, money, equipment, and support from America, Britain, France, Germany, and all the infidel sects and the Jews are not the only ones who are being killed now. Among the songs of the army training period that were inherited from the 1973 war, the Arabs came forward and advanced. Your weapons are towards the Jews. To kill them, slaughter them, and skin them, they fulfilled their vows. This is the true military doctrine, and there is no punishment for the occupier other than death. There is not a single civilian among the Zionists. They are all legitimate targets. Underneath a photo of a man smiling next to a dead soldier in southern Israel in a pool of his own blood with his face blown off. A man stands pointing and smiling. The caption reads, Pictures that heal the hearts of believing people. The blood of the Jews is on the ground, their bodies are marooned, and their armor is under the hands of the Muhadahin. This is how we fight, otherwise we don't. And the most successful strategy has always been we invade them and they do not invade us. Every new position and statement by American officials confirms that targeting American interests everywhere necessitates duties now. The genocide will not stop unless Americans are harmed, companies, embassies, officials. Oh, people, whoever is demonstrating should go to America's consulates and embassies. Whoever is boycotting should boycott its products. And whoever has a longer hand should do what will achieve the goal. 
Every blow to the American is a blow to the Jew. If we had borders with Gaza, we would do this and that. We remind him who said these words, that Gaza is not being fought by the Zionists alone, but rather the whole West, and the West embassies have no borders with them. They are in our capitals, so go ahead. Killing Americans in every place is obligatory, as stated by in a fatwa by a sheikh. May God have mercy on him and gather us and him in paradise. The Americans are an aggressor party since the establishment of the entity state. And their rule is that they are a warlike state that fights Muslims. However, choosing painful targets, if possible, is the first, from diplomats, officers, and others. The soul of a Muslim is not cheap. They're calling upon killing Americans. They don't think one of us is an innocent civilian. We are all Zionists if we are Westerners and we are all targets. If we ignore the brutalities that Southern Israel faced, we are being naive to the fact that it could happen to us. Should this small cancer growing within this community continue to grow and be funded from the largest state sponsor of terror, Iran? It's clear if they defeat Israel, which they won't, that they will set their sights on the West. And should they be defeated? Well, who's to say that they won't continue the fight in the West? The greatest crime you can commit today is being racist. And not actually being racist, holding hate in your heart, but instead being perceived as someone who is racist or in some way oppressing people. If you speak out against these violent violent riots, you're a racist and upholding white supremacy. If you express concerns about the open southern border of the United States, which in recent years has detained and let in thousands of immigrants from the Middle East, who we have no idea if they have ties to terrorist groups, you are a white supremacist and a racist. If you say you're scared about the rise in anti-Semitic attacks in Europe and America following October 7th, you're dramatic and a white supremacist and Islamophobic. If you speak any of those previous statements out loud, not only are you a racist, but violence against you is seen as legitimate by this mob. And this shouldn't have to be said but I am obviously not talking about every single immigrant or Muslim person. I am obviously aware of and of the belief that the vast majority of people who are Muslim and immigrants are extremely kind, caring, and peaceful. But this cancer that has infiltrated them is growing at an alarming rate and gathering support from young people in America. And it's vital that we take the threat seriously. Israel will have no problem taking out Hamas. But I'm more scared about what we're seeing in the West. Because while it's a small percentage of people that are radicalized, a small group of people can cause a lot of damage. There were only 19 hijackers during 9-11. There were a couple hundred to a couple thousand Hamas militants that entered Israel on October 7th doesn't take many radicals to cause extreme levels of chaos and violence. 
And being that they experienced the violence firsthand in Israel, they're taking it seriously. But being that we're all the way across an ocean, we seem to not take it so seriously here in the United States. Furthermore, because the Free Palestine Movement is such a grassroots movement without a clear leader, the radicals are defining and taking over the movement. There's no clear leader involved in that movement speaking out against these radicals. If they won't take responsibility for it, they're either complicit or in support of it, and we can't allow this. Being that none of them have the courage to stick out against the mob and speak out, I guess I'm going to have to do it. So this takes me back to my main concern. I want to uphold Western values. I want to live in a secular democracy, not a caliphate. Not that we're anywhere near living in a caliphate in the West, but in two to three generations, given birth rates in the West compared to the Muslim world, we might be. And I don't want my great-grandchildren to live in one either. I also want my great-grandchildren to have Jewish friends. And if this small group of radicals exponentially increases and gains more legitimacy in leadership roles, I worry that that may not be possible. And I know this sounds dramatic, but from studying the Holocaust and other genocides like the Rwandan genocide, these crazy, unimaginable things are unfortunately possible. And this brings me back to the Eric Weinstein discussion. I worry that in Western society, the ideals we hold so dearly and proudly, like freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, the right to bear arms, these things cannot exist if we don't agree on some level of morality. If you believe that violence is justified against your oppressors and oppressors are determined by a mob, we have very different opinions about morality. And if I can't trust your moral compass, I don't know if I can trust you with the rights we hold so proudly in the West. If my neighbor does not believe that they will face a wrath in the afterlife for taking innocent life and taking their own life, can I really trust them with a weapon capable of killing me and my entire family in a few seconds like a gun? And if we take their gun away, how do I know they won't just drive a car into us in a crowd of people? Freedom of the press is one of the most important components of democracy. If we cannot criticize our government and cover them objectively, we don't have a democracy. But today, a portion of people refuse to believe Western media, instead choosing to believe Qatari state media, which earnestly reports death totals from Hamas, a terrorist organization which is known to inflate numbers of death, blame Israel for its own misfires, which kill Gazan civilians, and calls all combatants civilians in their death totals. Or worse, they believe blatant propaganda put out by Hamas. We've all seen Hamas's top paid actor who seems to be gravely injured every other day and then miraculously recovered to act as a surgeon, reporter, aid worker, or another critical job once he's miraculously recovered. He also always seems to be there when a bomb strikes, but he's still going. Weird. Last week, we saw Germany outlaw usage of the terms free Palestine and from the river to the sea. This blatantly goes against the Western principle of free speech. I am a firm believer that words are not violence. I've said this for years. 
facts don't care about your feelings, like Ben Shapiro says. But many argue that these words are the precursor to genocide, legitimizing and celebrating the genocide of a group of people, Jews. And Germany takes this seriously. They are deeply ashamed of the Holocaust and have vowed not to repeat it. So if they're onto something with banning these phrases, why are we having discussions about whether or not they're okay to say in the U.S.? One of my favorite books about international relations is Clash of Civilizations by Samuel Huntington. His thesis is that in a post-Cold War world, allies and adversaries will be chosen based on cultural similarities and our country's interests rather than by economic systems like capitalism versus communism. And he seems to be right. And this is evidenced by a large group of people in the West identifying more with their ethnicity or culture, like where their families immigrated from, rather than identifying with the place that they now live. There's no problem with being proud of your heritage, but what we've seen recently is a massive group of people sympathizing with a terrorist group that their parents or grandparents made this choice to escape from, and that's alarming. And they sympathize with them because they view them as more similar to them than us in the West. This gets even more concerning when we implement the oppressor versus oppressed paradigm and are reminded that violence against oppressors is justified and dignified. On a TikTok live the other day, a girl was speaking out against the IDF, saying that they had put a baby into an oven. This clearly didn't happen to a Palestinian baby at the hands of an IDF soldier, but rather a Hamas terrorist did this to an Israeli baby, and there's proof of it. What struck me about this exchange was not that she was so loudly wrong, but that she clearly understood how wrong it is to do that to a baby that she thought was Palestinian, but she did not have the same fervor against it against this atrocious act when she found out it was done to an Israeli baby by Hamas. So these people can clearly recognize when something's wrong, but feel differently about it if it's their own people affected, rather than a baby from someone they perceive themselves as against. There's no longer a clear right from wrong, but instead rushing to justify their own side over their opponent. The craziest thing I've seen from this side is the moral equivalence they try to put between Hamas and the IDF, while simultaneously holding the IDF to impossibly high standards. While Hamas's standards are eight layers deep in their tunnel systems, apparently. The country of Israel, which they will not admit has the right to exist, is supposed to have a military so advanced that they do not have a singular civilian casualty. Israel should know better. And how dare they defend themselves if they have civilian casualties? Or defend themselves at all because, you know, they shouldn't exist at all. It doesn't matter that there's not a bullet that only kills terrorists or a bomb that only kills terrorists. It doesn't matter that Israel is leading and protecting convoys away from the conflict zones so that they can fight more fair with less civilian casualties. None of those facts matter. That all comes from from Israeli media. That's propaganda. Hello. Israel needs to prove themselves moral and just to a crowd that believes their very existence is immoral and unjust. And by the way, the only sources they'll believe reports from 
to prove Israel's moral injustness must be from Turkish or Qatari state media or Hamas themselves or Snapchat maps from Gaza, apparently. Israel is illegitimate in the first place, but being that they're all white Europeans, they must exist on this moral high ground that we could never hold Hamas to. And yeah, it's wrong what Hamas did on October 7th, but their violence is totally allowed because they're oppressed. But any amount of violence or anger expressed by Israel, which I would argue has been incredibly restrained up to this point, is completely unjust because they're civilized. Noah Tishby is right when she says that Israel is the most misunderstood country on the planet and apparently the only one not allowed to defend itself. These people believe it is barbaric for Holocaust survivors or people escaping the rising anti-Semitism in Europe and the Arab world to settle in their ancestral homeland. But what Hamas did on October 7th, mm, that's not barbaric. And if you call them animals or savages, you're a racist. So how can we square this circle? How can we give these intense freedoms to people who don't even agree on right from wrong? Or holding each other to the same standards? I worry that having this conversation will be so uncomfortable for us in the West that we may choose not to have it at all. And if we refuse to have this conversation for too long, it may be too late. And if we can stomach having the discussion at all, do we have the attention span to see it through? Bill Raggio of Foundation for Defense of Democracy's Long War Journal says that as Americans, we like to participate in what he calls McWars. Basically, we want to pull up to a drive through order, take a few bites, like a drone strike, throw our trash out the window, and be done with it. We like our conflicts to be over quickly, like we like to go through the drive through with minimal U.S. involvement or troops on the ground. While I agree that U.S. involvement should be a last resort option, should we need to take action, are we even willing to see that action through? If we take a look at the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal, I think that gives us our answer. We call the war on terror a forever war, but Jonathan Schanzer of Foundation for Defense of Democracy points out that Former empires used to measure conflicts in centuries. A 25-year-old war, which changed objectives and we didn't really win, doesn't really fit the bill. And I've said before that I think we have a massive problem in the West having short four-year terms for our president when we need to compete with the world leaders that rule for 20 years at a time. The quickness in changing leaders makes us unreliable to our adversaries and make Bill Raggio's McWar phenomenon even more apparent. Weinstein's solution to this problem was that we may need to deny some of our precious Western values to people who refuse to adapt to our culture, and instead choose to use these values against us. He said this would have to come from Supreme Court rulings that are ruled in the spirit of how these rights were intended and not necessarily how they were written. That makes me extremely uncomfortable. How can we have these rights and not give them equally to all? How can we judge someone's heart and character when we don't know them and risk denying these rights to people who deserve them? If we begin denying these rights to groups of immigrants, 
It's my guess that these rights would be denied disproportionately to immigrants of color, which would be seen as racist. Again, the worst thing anyone can be perceived as being. How can we exist in an anti-racist world while potentially allowing racism to take form like this? And who on earth will be okay with enforcing these restrictions or making these rulings when they'll be called racists, oppressors, and risk violence coming against them? My thought on that, if any Western country acts on this, it would be France first. And also, you're not going to like to hear this, but thank God we have a conservative majority on the Supreme Court. So conservatives have been called racist for years and are more willing to be called that than liberals. So if this turns out to be true and they have to make these calls, we should be thankful that there is a conservative majority on the court, regardless of what you think about the Obergefell decision. So now you have a bit of a peek into what keeps me up at night. I want to be clear, I am in no way endorsing any of this or claiming to have solutions. I don't even claim to have correctly read the problem. But I'm opening up this discussion about this topic because I feel like it's one that we desperately need to have. So please message me with your thoughts. I would love to hear what you have to say about this. And please don't forget to like, subscribe, rate me five stars. But again, only if I deserve it. Have a great rest of your week and I... I'll see you next Thursday.